Good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll talk about soil health with Marlo Rickman and a first in today's country comment. We'll have details from Manitoba Canola Growers AGM held last week. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 90 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Manitoba Canola Growers Association held its AGM last week at Crop Connect. I caught up with President Chuck Fossey. Many people have said it was an extremely difficult harvest, an extremely difficult year. Really, uh, started off with a very dry uh, summer. Then, uh, of course, we had a few good weeks of harvest weather, and then September came, and the moisture came with it, and then it was followed by snow. So, you know, we had a lot of delayed harvest, late harvesting in many crops. I think we're fairly fortunate in Manitoba that we actually were able to get most of our crop off. Uh, Provinces like Alberta, I'm told there's anywhere from 1.4 to 1.6 million acres of crop still out in the field. I believe Saskatchewan also has several hundred thousand acres out in the field where Manitoba, uh, there might be a, well, in that southwest corner, there's some crops still out in the field. For individuals, it's a large amount, but when you look at the total acreage of Manitoba, uh, I think we're down around 200,000 acres that weren't harvested which is going to make spring difficult, but uh, I think we came out of it much better than our neighbors to the west. Just a thought, I guess, on yields from last year? Well, actually, for I can't speak to all the yields, but for canola, uh, it was we had the highest canola yield in western Canada. In fact, I believe this is the third year in a row where we had yields higher than Alberta and Saskatchewan. So I think Manitoba farmers have a lot to be proud about. For this coming year, uh, what are you expecting to see as ter- uh, in terms of acres? Well, I, I believe canola acres are going to stay pretty static. Might see a small increase. Uh, difficult to really tell until we get a better handle on what the new crop prices are going to look like. But I think canola still pencils out as a very profitable crop. And as long as farmers follow a good rotation, it should continue to be that way. So I'm expecting we'll stay in that three, between three and three and a half million acres of canola. Some talk here today about the, the China situation. Um, you know, just your thoughts on that going forward. Well, it's been a, a difficult issue to deal with. Uh, our sister organizations, the Canola Council and the Canadian Canola Growers, have been very active uh, working with the federal government in trying to deal with the China issue. Uh, we're going to continue to work on it. It might take a bit longer. I, I think back last March when this happened, I said if it doesn't get settled in the first six months, it could take anywhere from one to two years to get settled. So here we are, not quite a year into the whole China issue, and we're still uh, waiting on China. They're dragging their heels on a lot of issues to get this solved. So we might have to deal with this for another year. That was Chuck Fossey, president of the Manitoba Canola Growers Association. The group held its AGM last week at Crop Connect. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. China was a big topic discussed last week at Manitoba Canola Growers AGM in Winnipeg. Here's President Chuck Fossey. It's been a a difficult issue to deal with. Our sister organizations, the Canola Council and the Canadian Canola Growers, have been very active uh, working with the federal government. I think back last March when this happened, I said, if it doesn't get settled in the first six months, it could take anywhere from one to two years to get settled. 
So here we are, not quite a year into the whole China issue, and we're still uh, waiting on China. They're dragging their heels on a lot of issues to get this solved. So we might have to deal with this for another year. Fossey is expecting Manitoba canola acres to remain static in 2020. And Manitoba Pork will be receiving funding from the federal government towards the development of a risk management strategy to help producers recover from potential disease outbreaks. Here's Pork Council Chair George Matheson. We're very pleased that the federal government uh, gave us, uh, it came to $482,000 to study an, an insurance uh, product uh, or develop an insurance product for uh, hog producers uh, in the case of uh, animal loss. Ten years ago, I would have said, uh, I don't think we need it, but now, with, uh, especially with the higher prevalence of PED, which can be devastating to farms, uh, I think it's something that uh, if the premium is right for the amount of coverage a producer gets, I think uh, producers will be very interested in it. If successful, the risk management strategy could expand to incorporate pork sectors in other provinces. That was a look at today's Farm News. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Ag Wire for Tuesday, February 18th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glendalee Allen Vossler chats with the chair of Grain Growers of Canada, Jeff Nielsen, about the recent rail blockades. Today, Glendalee Allen Vossler chats with Jeff Nielsen, chair of Grain Growers of Canada, about the recent rail blockades and the impact it's having for the grain sector. Maybe to begin with, for people that don't understand the the concern or the connection, set it up for us, if you will. Well, Canada as an exporting nation is uh, solely reliant on on getting our product to an export position. And for grains, primarily that's done by rail. And for a lot of other commodities, be it potash, be it uh, uh, petrochemical goods, um, um, wood and lumber, uh, especially those products as well, all have to be delivered to export positions. Other in Canada, we have Thunder Bay, which is unfortunately closed for the season due to the seaway being closed, being frozen. Um, eastern uh, Eastern ports, but uh, for Western Canada, primarily it's Thunder Bay. Sorry, it's um, Prince Rupert and Vancouver are our chief delivery points for for all our export goods. And with a rail slowdown or shutdown, that means our products cannot get to that position. And that means our customers waiting for our top quality products are literally waiting for our top quality products. Um, and that, in effect, then uh, starts causing what we call a demurrage. And those costs are the costs incurred by those ships waiting for a product, our product, in, in port. And those costs are then passed back to us as producers. And demurrage racks up pretty quickly, doesn't it? It can. Uh, ships come in a timely fashion. Uh, we're, we try to get our grains out to our export terminals in a timely fashion. So it's uh, the ships come in, they get loaded, and then they can get on their way. Uh, currently, we're seeing a record high amount of ships, uh, probably not as high as 2014, but we're close, um, sitting in Vancouver. And um, the longer they sit there, the more cost to sit there. And it depends on the size of the ship is what the fees they, they are charged. So let's talk about the impact for farmers. Well, it's We're going into uh, early spring here. We're going into um, probably the next couple of weeks road bands coming on. That means our roads get softer as spring comes along. Um, we have the thaw. So we are limited on what we can haul in our trucks to our 
local elevators. And so that's a, a hiccup we can deal with as farmers. But what we can't deal with right now is the inability to even ship our grain off our farm. I understand there are a lot of elevators have not received trains lately. They are not getting trains anytime soon. So that means if you have a contract for the month of February, it may be pushed off into into uh, March and April, if not later. We don't want it later. So that means you have to take time off then to haul the grain. Um, but your bills may be due the end of February, and you have a contract to sell grain in February, and you want it. That's the only way you can pay your bill is to sell your grain. This is coming on the heels of an extremely rough year for producers, an extremely difficult harvest. Very much so. There's a lot of crops still left out all across Western Canada. Uh, we're facing a very uh, wet fall. We're facing uh, a lot of, well, carbon tax issue. We're, we're being charged now to extra just to dry the grains to have them in condition. And now we're seeing our products being forced to be held on the farm and not be able to ship with them. Jeff Nielsen is chair of the Grain Growers of Canada for Golden West. I'm Glendalee Allen Vossler. Continuing on today's Prairie Eggwire, we talk soil health with Manitoba Agriculture's Marla Rickman. Obviously, if you have an unhealthy soil, it's probably not going to be growing crops for you appropriately. And what we're looking for in agriculture is to try to have a soil that's going to grow crops. And so first thing that I want people to do when they're looking at like whether or not they have a healthy soil and, and you know the importance of the healthy soil is actually just looking at how the crop is growing because the crop is going to tell you a whole lot. Uh, so you know do you have areas that the soil's not growing or the crop's not growing very well that you know is it nutrient deficient is it maybe the saline um, and trying to identify problem areas and then once you've identified those problem areas then you can actually delve in a little deeper because if we're going to actually be identifying soil health problems and trying to figure out what to do about them we need to actually like observe a problem and make a diagnosis and just like with human health you got to you know diagnose and then you're going to treat and monitor from there. Talk about some of the tests or how do we find out what's in the soil? So a lot of farmers are just doing a standard soil test and the commercial soil test is going to be doing things like looking at the nutrient content but some of the important numbers that are on there that people sometimes forget to look at is organic matter, soluble salts, pH, uh, other indications of things that are functioning or how the soil is functioning and so those are really good indicators um, so that a farmer can take that test and look at those types of numbers and say okay this is a part of a more basic soil health test and then the other thing that people often forget to do is grab a shovel and go digging because there's a lot of observations or just spend time staring at the soil and looking at how the crop is growing there's areas in the field where water ponds there's areas in the field where you know the soil isn't infiltrating or soaking up water as well uh, you see indications of erosion or or kind of situations like that you go digging and the first thing you know if you're starting to dig in a compacted soil you start feeling where those really tight areas are, um, whether it's old plow pan or something in the wheel tracks. And so you can tell pretty quickly that you've got some kind of problem. So a lot of the diagnosis that we're de- dealing with is actually coming from making good observations in the field and spending a little bit of time digging around. 
And a uh, big portion of your talk, you talked about uh, salinity here today. Um, you know, what are some of the big issues around that? Yeah, I kind of focused in on salinity because I know it's a problem that a lot of people are dealing with, especially as we go through dry conditions, following wet conditions. So the last couple of years that we had had that were dry before, you know, this fall happened and all the excess moisture was coming, um, we were starting to see salinity come up a bit. So that's the reason why I focused in on that as part of, you know, a, an example, I guess, of how you would go through a diagnosis and a treatment and moderate monitoring process. So with salinity, when we start seeing problems is typically where you've got wa high water tables and then the soil starts to dry out. So again, in those dry periods following excess moisture. So we don't know what next year is going to bring following some of the excess moisture this fall, but if we start to dry out, we might see some of that salinity show up again. Big things with salinity is again, ob observing, testing. Uh, testing those saline patches. We normally stay out of them when we do the general soil test, but if we're actually going to, to monitor or measure or treat a problem that is saline, I want you to go in and actually test that, see how bad it is, and then from there you can actually determine what the best course of action is to treat that uh, salinity patch. That was Marla Rickman with Manitoba Agriculture talking about soil health. That's it for the Prairie Agwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to the farm desk at goldenwestradio.com. On behalf of Glenda Lee Allen Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Agwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. February 20th is Steinbach Crop Day taking place at the Pat Porter Active Living Centre. Admission is $10. The Brookside Angus Bull and Female Sale takes place Wednesday, February 26th at the Nipua Egg Complex. For more details, visit brooksideangus.com. The FCC Young Farmer Summit is set for March 4th at Winnipeg's Victoria Inn. Keystone Egg Producers, together with the Canadian Young Farmers Forum and sponsor FCC, are hosting the 2020 Manitoba Young Farmers Conference March 5th at Winnipeg's Victoria Inn. The cost is $50, and that includes lunch. The Prairie Organics Think Whole Farm 2020 Conference is taking place March 5th and 6th at Brandon's Keystone Centre. And Marmac Farms is having a bull sale March 11th, beginning at 1.30. More details at marmacfarms.net. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Coming up in the next half hour, we'll chat with the owner of a small-scale oat business. We'll also have another look at our farm news for today. Right now, it's 1 o'clock. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Tuesday afternoon, Amy Nickel of Adagio Acres was a guest speaker last week at the Manitoba Oat Growers AGM held at Crop Connect. I chatted with Amy after her presentation. We're about the smallest scale farmer that you could ever imagine. We have, uh, you know, small fields, about 20 acres. We'll often grow about 60 to 80 acres in a year. Um, but everything that we do, we're bringing all the way from, you know, the seeds that we plant in the springtime, all the way up to a final product that can be uh, turned into oatmeal on someone's table. So we do all of the seed cleaning and the milling and the packaging uh, right on our farm. And then myself and our three kiddos drop um, oats off at retailers and grocery stores and restaurants around the city. Where is this farm located? Yeah, we're about an hour and a half north of Winnipeg, so close to Lundar, Manitoba. So uh, rocky and, uh, you know, pastures kind of interspersed with sloughs out there. But it's where my husband grew up and where his family's been. The fields that we grow are fields that his dad cleared, you know, from bush, you know, 30 years ago. And there's a lot of connections to, you know, his grandparents and great-grandparents that lived out in the area. Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the product that you guys make. 
Yeah, so we grow an ancient grain version of an oat, and so it acts and it looks mostly like oatmeal, but it's a little bit different. It's got a little bit of a nuttier flavor, uh, more antioxidants, and it's not steam processed, and so there's a lot less uh, kind of carbon input put into the oats because we're not adding any heat in the processing. And so it's a raw product, um, and it also is easier to do on a small scale. We didn't have to invest millions of dollars to set up a mill. Uh, we're able to kind of keep with small scale, uh, less expensive equipment, and yet still grow food that can be um, enjoyed by consumers around Manitoba. These are Hollis oats? Yeah, so a Hollis oat is uh, an older, well, okay, uh, people say that they came from Asia about 3,000 years ago, and they were considered the type of oats that people would eat, and conventional hulled oats, which now make up 99.9% of oats, are the oats that uh, livestock would eat. Um, but Hollis oats, or naked oats, don't need to be processed, they don't need to be dehulled, and so that makes it a lot easier for small-scale millers like myself to, uh, to mill them into forage flakes without uh, large-scale processing equipment. Tell us about some of the varieties you guys sell. Yeah, so we do the basic porridge oats, kind of like a large flake oat and a quick oat for baking with and some steel cut for like a really creamy porridge in the morning. And then we also started doing something interesting, working with a wild rice uh, mill in the province as well and adding wild rice to our products. So we have um, wild rice mixed together with rolled oats and blueberries for like an oatmeal blend that you can make up into porridge in the morning. And then also oats that are kept whole in their kind of uh, whole kernel form. So it looks like a grain of rice and we combine that with wild oats to use as a rice substitute. So rather than importing food from across the world, we can be eating oats with our stews and our curries and our you know our soups. So that's something that we really, really love a lot. Where are most of your products sold? Uh, who, who's buying them? Yeah, so we did ran some numbers. I think 92% of all of the oats that we uh, produce and mill are right here in Manitoba. So we do sell to um, some consumers and some restaurants out in BC and uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta. But it's mostly Winnipeggers and uh, people in Manitoba. Um, you know, finding our oats on the grocery shelf, it's uh, naked oats in a brown paper package. And uh, most of it's just eaten here in Manitoba, brought home to the lowly porridge pots in everyone's uh, kitchens. That was Amy Nickel of Adagio Acre. She was a guest speaker last week at the Manitoba Oat Growers Association annual general meeting. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The federal government will be investing funds in the Manitoba Pork Council towards the development of a risk management strategy to help producers recover from potential disease outbreaks. The Port Council will receive an investment of just over $482,000 towards the two-year project. Chair George Matheson says African swine fever was part of the focus. It could uh, cover uh, losses from uh, any virus uh, or any uh, other uh, you know, uh, medical hazard. The biggest uh, concern for, let's say, an, uh, an infection of ASF would be because uh, international rules would uh, determine that our, our borders would be closed and uh, we export 70% of our products. That was, is where really you'd see the greatest losses because you'd be unable to uh, sell an animal. If successful, the risk management strategy could expand to incorporate pork sectors in other provinces. And the Manitoba Canola Growers held its AGM last week at CropConnect. President Chuck Fossey says despite the tough growing conditions last year, canola yields turned out okay. We have the highest canola yield in Western Canada. In fact, I believe this is the third year in a row where we had yields higher than Alberta and Saskatchewan. So I think Manitoba farmers have a lot to be proud about. Fossey expects Manitoba canola acres to remain static in 2020. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. 
We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwestradio.com. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.